We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. It is Tuesday, February 6th, and there remains a crisis on the U.S. border and widespread criticism of the bipartisan border bill. Interestingly and kind of inexplicably, uh, Senator Lankford is defending that. He went on CNN last night and uh, tried to object to the fact-checking that some of his fellow Republicans have said. Uh, Senator J.D. Vance tweeted this, the border never closes is a good summary of this bill and of Joe Biden's policy. Speaker Mike Johnson has said the Biden administration created the border catastrophe. The president has the authority to take action today to fix it, but he refuses to act. In a resurfaced 2022 clip, Speaker Johnson, uh, when he was just a member of Congress, uh, clearly outlined the Democrats' illegal a illegal to voters scheme while dismantling a confused Jerry Nadler in the process. This is the clip. This is cut for. That's not true. The New York City Council voted in December to allow this. It begins January 9, 2023. Cities in Vermont and Maryland already allow this, and similar measures are under consideration in Illinois, Maine, and, and uh, Massachusetts right now. Mr. Gentleman, will you? Yes. Uh, I believe those are um, considerations of allowing votes in municipal elections only. Right, but but th- th- thank you, that's the point. <laughs> Everybody wants to know at home, why would they allow this? Guys, they're allowing it because they're gonna turn them into voters. They already are doing this in New York City, largest city in America, and this is the plan of our friends on this side to turn all the illegals into voters. That's it, folks, that's what's going on. That's the game. That's why the border's open, that's why they've dropped it. Look, I I respect Ms. Lofgren and all her work in this arena. Yes, I'll I'll yield, Mr. Chairman. I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. As a New Yorker, I would love to think that New York is the entire country, but it is not. (laughs) It is not, and consideration is being given to uh, uh, permitting uh, non-citizens to vote in New York, and I believe in in, uh, the capital city of Vermont, I forget which that is, uh, but it, as, lo- as much as I'd like to believe it, New York and Vermont are not the entire country. But Mr. Chairman, that's the whole point. This is what's going on, folks, at home. If you're trying to figure this out, if you're scratching your heads, you're seeing the video, you see droves of people, 2.4 million people coming over the border illegally, the president allowing, the Democrats in charge of Congress are allowing it. The deal is they're going to turn them into voters. You just heard it. They don't have any problem with that. They celebrate it. Here's the deal. We have a problem with it. The Constitution has a problem with it. American elections should be decided by American citizens. That's it. 
that's what, that's what this is about. That's why we're jumping up and down and screaming, my friends on the video who are commenting about this. That's why we're so upset, because our constituents are, 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 are frightened that we are losing our country. We're losing our security or losing our sovereignty because we're gonna allow people from 160 different countries around the world to come in here and decide our elections. That's it. Here it is on record. You all heard it. I'm out of time. I yield back. So that was uh, Mike Johnson before he was speaker in 2022. And now 13 GOP governors are gathering in Texas to support Governor Greg Abbott's border security plan. According to the Daily Caller, 13 Republican governors attended a Sunday media briefing in Eagle Pass, Texas, during which Governor Greg Abbott urged Joe Biden to take action on the issue of illegal migrant entries across the southern border. There is also a great piece in Daily Wire by um, my good friend Mark Meckler and Rick Santorum. Uh, They co-wrote this, Why Texas Does Not Need to Beg the Feds to Protect Its Interests. And Mark Meckler joins me now. So, um, Mark, I I think this has obviously reached a crisis point, but Texas is doing the right thing. GOP governors are supporting Texas. And what is the argument here now basically for state sovereignty? Yeah, I mean, first of all, Jenna, I got to say that clip, I'm sitting here listening and I'm stunned. I don't recall that. And so I appreciate you bringing that back up. I'm going to circulate that everywhere. Yeah, this is the game. The intent is to throw the elections to Democrats permanently by creating a permanent majority. And the argument about state sovereignty is is we're seeing the face-off over the very concept of federalism right here in Texas right now. And I think we've reached a point that we've not seen in American history since the Civil War. And some people would argue during the Civil Rights Movement, the federal government had a face-off with the states, but it was limited in scope. Here you now have 26 governors that have spoken aggressively against the federal government's actions on our southern border, and they're standing together. So this is a unique point in history where the states are saying, no, you've gone too far. We're not going to allow this anymore. And so now the question is, how do you restore federalism in a country that seems to be losing the idea of federalism? And I think that is the question, because it seems like in the common Americans understanding that the states are subservient to the federal government and so beholden to whatever uh, Biden's borders are, which I think that was supposed to be Kamala Harris. Has she actually even been to the border at all yet? Um, But, uh, you know, and, and then also Secretary Mayorkas, who is in the midst of a potential impeachment. Congress may vote on that as early as today. Uh, That was passed out of committee late last night. Um, So we're seeing that there is action being taken by Congress, but this is this is not a correct perception that the states, when exercising their own constitutional power from that the text gives them, that they have to be beholden to and ask permission from the federal government. Yeah, I think it's important that people remember our history. And again, this is a place where I think Democrats have done a good job. And I don't mean that as a compliment. They've intentionally erased our history. The states were intended and are sovereign in their own spheres. And the Constitution granted specifically 17 enumerated powers to the federal government. No more. That's everything else reserved to the states. Today, I think the federal government through the federal courts have taken power over 17 million things. And so the question is, how do you rebalance that and the key to that is how do you rebalance it without violence, right? You know, I, I don't want to see a civil war. Nobody wants to see a civil war. 
I think it's important to note that we've always been at odds with each other in this country since before the founding. The colonies didn't like each other. Uh, after the American Revolution, they, the states founded the, the Confederate states by uh, posing the Articles of Confederation and approving the Articles of Confederation. That was a document that said, we don't really like each other, so we're not really going to do anything together. We're not going to give a central government any power. Uh, and then even up through the common era, the, the current era, the states are just different. Mississippi is different than New York, and New York's different than Texas. And so federalism acknowledges that if we want to do anything together, we have to make sure we don't try to do everything together. And the Constitution gives us a method to essentially re-separate on a lot of different things, and, and that is Article 5 of the Constitution says if we, the states, don't really like what the federal government's doing, we can call a convention and we can propose amendments to restrict federal power. And that comes in very specifically right here, Jenna, because right now, 19 states have already proposed that convention. It takes only 15 more states to get into convention. And we can propose an amendment that says that the states have concurrent jurisdiction over border and immigration. In other words, they can enforce the federal laws on the border and and immigration. Obviously, we need to do that right now. Uh, And we're encouraging the 15 states and 15 more states to act immediately and get us into convention. Yeah, and I'm talking with Mark Meckler, who is the founder of the Convention of States Project and uh, is is the project that has gone the furthest in terms of the petitions in, I think, has it been passed in 19 states now uh, to call a convention to address these issues, among others. And so um, quickly, for those who aren't aware of this particular project, uh, what are the three different subject matters and why is this so important? Sure. So what we're proposing is an application that says we would impose term limits on federal officials and members of Congress. So that's the deep state also. Uh, Guys like Fauci, I call it the Fauci Amendment. Number two is anything that would impose fiscal restraints on Congress. That would include a balanced budget amendment, but also tax caps, spending caps. Uh, imposing generally accepted accounting principles on the federal government. And the one in play here is limiting the scope and power of the federal government. Uh, That would be doing away with things like the Department of Education, Department of Energy, things that are imposing on the states and taking away authority from the states. But here specifically, allowing the states to constitutionally take control of their own borders without declaring an invasion, without having fights over nuanced language. The states should just have concurrent jurisdiction. Yeah, and, and that makes so much sense, Mark, um, especially when we look at how the federal government and the Democrats are not protecting Americans' interests. Um, they're not securing our rights. They're not securing the border. And in fact, they're purposefully trying to undermine and take away our rights and privileges. And I think that Speaker Mike Johnson was absolutely right uh, back in 2022 when he said this is all about an illegals to voters scheme. And the, the left doesn't want us to talk about election integrity. Um, they don't want to uh, to talk about any of that. But really, that's that's the focus, because if these people were coming across the border and they all were voting Republican, then we would have had a a wall you know, out to outer space by now. And then the Democrats would have pushed for it because it would have been against them. But anything that they can do to undermine the rules, to change the rules so that they can stay in power is what they go for. And so when you look at, Im- at impeachment that's going on right now with um, Secretary Mayorkas, I had uh, Jim Johnson, um, Jim Jordan on rather earlier this week. And I asked him, you know, why are you going after Mayorkas? Because I get that. And I think it's worthy of impeachment. But Biden would just put in another guy that's going to derelict his duty also. So 
what's the answer in terms of what Congress can do? I mean, I think that it's really clear that the states are the ones that just need to enforce their border because Congress just seems to be tied up in all of these other fights that at the end of the day don't really matter. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, if we look, this border problem, though, it's reached a boiling point here under Biden, has been a problem for a long time. Uh, I have to say Republicans have been complicit in this as well. We've had Republican administrations that could have done a much better job securing our border. We're not going to fix this problem, or frankly, the majority of the fundamental intractable problems facing the nation without the states taking control of some of this stuff. The states themselves uh, individually, a bunch of them, but also collectively are much more conservative than Washington, D.C., uh, than their D.C. delegations. And so the states are going to have to step up and do what they've always have been supposed to do, which is reclaim their sovereign power. Right. And and we have to focus on state sovereignty and not just be beholden to the federal government. And the one concern that I've had just over the last you know several years looking at the composition of the states and the state legislatures and seeing how even governors like Greg Abbott, I mean, it seems like um, he's been very hesitant to do what is needed to be done. And, and he'll only take action when it reaches a crisis point. I mean, he should have declared an invasion and done this uh, the moment that Joe Biden took office and wasn't going to protect the border and signed, you know, those initial executive orders. And so is there a concern that even if we get to a convention, which I agree and I, I'm fully an advocate for it, um, and that's what our founders gave us as the key and the solution. But is there a concern that we get to convention and Republicans uh, for the state legislatures won't actually be conservative at a convention? Yeah, look, I'm always concerned about that because you're dealing with human beings. But the reality is that it's up to us. I mean, I think this is the key facet that we have to remember. We can't get to a convention without massive pressure by literally millions of conservative constituents. That's the only way to get to convention or we'll never get there. That's the way the mechanism was designed by the framers. It takes the involvement of the general population on a large scale. And so it's going to be up to us. And frankly, Jenna, I'm comfortable with that. It should be up to us to save our country. We shouldn't rely on politicians to do the right thing. We should put the pressure on them to force them to do the right thing. Right. And and the number of encounters at the border since Biden has been in office now exceeds Arizona's population. Um, this headline from the Western Journal, the number of people entering the United States illegally at the nation's southern border since President Joe Biden took office now exceeds the population of Arizona. I mean, they're, they're literally creating states of illegals. And and this is this is pathetic. I mean, even every day um, and the estimate of about 5000 illegals coming in a day is more than the population of some small towns. I mean, this is genuinely a crisis. And so um, why, in your view, just because I know you've, you've been around the D.C. swamp as much as I have, Mark Meckler, um, would someone like a Senator Lankford, who has been conservative on other issues, been stalwart pro-life, you know, some of those things. Um, why would he be an advocate and why is this bill even bipartisan? Yeah, I think it's because they live inside the swamp. They lose perspective of the states where they live. I can guarantee you, Lankford, I have a particular connection to him, not personally, but uh, Senator Tom Coburn, who held the seat before Senator Lankford, very close friend of mine. I traveled the country with him. He would be appalled 
Uh, I don't live that far away from Oklahoma. I can tell you the people of Oklahoma are appalled by what Lankford is doing. The Oklahoma GOP has censured Senator Lankford over his actions in regard to this border bill. So I just think people like Lankford go to Washington, D.C., and they become enamored of D.C. and believe that they are the ones that have the solutions. They're the smart people, smarter than everybody else. Uh, You know, I have no doubt he thinks he's doing the right thing. It's just he's wearing the D.C. glasses now. Right. It's it's almost like the the frog in the boiling pot analogy where, you know, you go into D.C. and you just get so desensitized and you're out of your constituency and your your own uh, constituents that you represent. And, and it seems like there is this um, th- th- this boiling water that you don't even realize that you're being a- accustomed to. And what's really frustrating, though, is it seems like that's what happens to the GOP. But that never happens to the Democrats. It's like they never come to D.C. and then suddenly get a little more conservative and go, oh, you know, there there are some things that I actually can do for a representative government. And I'm going to start um, voting. Maybe maybe um, Fetterman is the only one that uh, that has become interestingly a little bit less uh, less crazy than we thought he would be. And he's had he's had a few moments. But um, but this opinion piece is why Texas does not need to beg the feds to protect its interests. And um, Mark Meckler, just in the last minute I have with you, um, how can people get involved in the Convention of States project? Because this truly is the solution for states to reclaim their sovereignty. Yeah, people can go to conventionofstates.com. They can sign our petition there. More importantly, they can click the Take Action tab and get involved. And this is the big thing, Jenna. I said it just a few minutes ago. It's going to be up to us to save the nation. It's not going to be the, quote-unquote, smart people in Washington, D.C., or even in their state capitals. We're going to have to get involved. So folks should go to conventionofstates.com, click on the Take Action tab, and get involved today. And just one last thing. God bless you for always doing what you believe is right. I know you've paid the price for that, and that's why you and I are friends. I admire you for what you've done and for your willingness to pay the price and continue to talk boldly. Thank you so much for that, and I so appreciate you for the same reasons, uh, Mark Meckler. And you, know, you and I have known each other for a lot of years, and um, we have always been stalwart conservatives regardless of um, the attacks from, frankly, both sides. And I'm an advocate for the Convention of States project because as much as there could be concerns of the what-ifs, well, the, what's happening right now is not okay. And this is the key that the founders gave us as the solution to say we can take back our states and we can dismiss the corruption in Washington. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advanced Advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.
Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are still talking about the crisis at the border and this uh, ridiculous bipartisan bill that uh, is going through the U.S. Senate. And uh, it is just a a total disaster. And I have no idea why it is bipartisan, uh, because this should not ever be an effort that uh, the GOP, the so-called conservative party, aligns with and um, suggests because it's really not doing anything and allowing uh, 5,000 illegals a day across the border um, is is just ridiculous and it's not securing the border. Uh, but joining me now is um, a man who's actually been to the border and has videos showing how easy it is for illegals to just hop over the border on gaps where there is no fence or just uh, through the, um, the the place, the border checkpoints when they just go in, they have uh, paperwork and then they're released pending a court date in about a year and then they just don't show up. Uh, but he goes by Nuance Bro on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, so you can follow him there. So uh, Nuance Bro, tell us um, what has been your experience actually at the border and maybe kind of dispel some of the myths that it's actually you know difficult for illegals to come over. Sure. Um, it really depends. So I've done Texas and Arizona. In Texas, for example, I'm sure we've all heard about Eagle Pass. It's basically right next to a town that's occupied with a lot of people. The terrain's not very difficult to get through, and people would just basically cross the tiny river, the Rio Grande, and get right through, and there would be crossings all the time. Down in Arizona, the topography is much more difficult. You're miles and miles away from the nearest town oftentimes, and that's where a lot of the high-risk type of migrants who are trying to escape detection are coming through in many of these areas. And and so you know there is this perception that the Democrats are pushing that you know it's very difficult and there's not really this this influx of you know roughly five thousand a day uh, or or more and we've seen the videos from Fox News's um, Bill uh, Mulligan or Mulligan I think is how he pronounces his name the reporter that goes down there and he gets this amazing footage that shows us so many of these migrants that are just flooding across the border and so. Um, you know, the Democrats have been saying for the last like three years, no, the border's secure. It's fine. It's totally secure. Um, but that really doesn't seem to be the case. No, I mean, this 5,000 number that they're setting, it, it's actually higher than anything that we've experienced in during the Trump administration or the Obama administration. So they're basically setting this new cap that's record breaking because of what we've experienced during the Biden administration. Obviously, the numbers are higher uh, during the Biden administration than this 5,000 number, but historically, that's not really been the case. And uh, and the Babylon Bee had a great uh, a great headline that was saying that uh, and I'm trying to find it here. They they always are so funny. The new Senate anti murder bill caps murders at five thousand per day. I mean, this is really and and of course, yeah, that's hilarious. But this is kind of the point: is that you don't want to have a cap on 
um, on illegal conduct and just say, well, it's fine up to a certain extent. I mean, this seems like San Francisco or places in California that say it's fine if you steal and you shoplift as long as it's under you know, $950 a day. I mean, this doesn't make sense from a policy standpoint. Yeah, and they use this rhetoric of shutting down the border after they hit this 5,000 cap and that it's mandatory. But at the same time, legal migration, U.S. citizens, trade, commerce, uh, and even asylum seekers can still apply at uh, ports of entry during this so-called shutdown. So why don't they just move this number of 5,000 down to zero, which is effectively what, you know, immigration policy has been forever? Uh, why set this new standard that effectively legalizes 5000 a day? Yeah, and that's a great point. And I'm talking with um, a gentleman that goes by the name of Nuance Bro on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, and has actually been to the border. And you raise a really good point that um, you know th- that this type of cap per day, how could they even quantify that? And then suddenly say, even if they did, and say, okay, you know, you're the five thousandth person that has crossed the border in this 24-hour period. Now we're just going to shut down the border. Um, it's not like it's a store that you can lock the doors or that the Democrats would even care about that. Yeah, and I I think there's there's certain cases that don't even apply to that 5,000 number. I believe unaccompanied minors from, what, non-contiguous countries wouldn't count towards that number. So it's not even like 5,000 people across the board. Right. And uh, and on the lead with Jake Tapper yesterday, um, Senator Lankford, and we we're talking about him in the in the earlier segment that um, Oklahomans are really frustrated. He tried to go on CNN and uh, basically uh, go or correct the record, as Jake Tapper said, on the claims made by opponents of the bill. Um, this is what he had to say. And I want to get your reaction on the other side. Uh, this is cut one. I want to give you a chance to go on the record, perhaps correct the record, on some of the claims made by uh, opponents of the bill. A, a new statement from House GOP leadership today says, quote, the bill expands work authorizations for illegal aliens while failing to include critical asylum reforms. Even worse, its language allowing illegals to be released from physical custody would effectively endorse the Biden catch and release policy, unquote. Is that true? Uh, actually, none of that is actually true on it. Let me walk you through a couple of things with that. The first thing is, the, mo- the most basic element is, this is an ending catch and release. It dramatically increases the ability for detention. It has a way to be able to monitor and to be able to track those individuals. Uh, if we have to, if we can't actually have enough space to be able to actually hold them, it still leaves open the possibility of using Remain in Mexico, which this administration has used a little. Obviously, the Trump administration used a lot. So all those things are actually protected. But if you have a large number of people cross, and you don't have capacity, you're going to have to be able to figure out what to be able to do with those individuals. So we do track that. As far as the work permits, actually, it's the opposite of that. Today, there were 1,500 work permits that were given out by the Biden administration at ports of entry because migrants signed up in advance on it. So they got uh, just work permits. They don't qualify for asylum, didn't even ask for asylum. They just got work permits on it. That ends that process. So current law is if you cross the border and just apply for asylum, you also get a work permit. We also end that practice, and it actually moves it to you. You've got to actually go through the higher standards uh, to request asylum, meet those standards, and then once you meet those standards, then you would get a work permit. So as odd as it sounds, the accusation of creating work permits, we are literally the opposite, taking work permits away. 
So that was uh, Senator James Lankford on uh, Jake Tapper, and I'm speaking with uh, Nuance Bro, as his uh, handle is on X, formerly known as Twitter. So your response to uh, Senator Lankford kind of trying to spin this as, you know, hey, it gives us uh, the ability or increases the ability for detention. That to me doesn't mean that it actually will do anything that he claims it might. Yeah, there's a lot of... uh... twisting of the facts when it comes to what Langford said. And I think they're kind of banking on the American public's uh, lack of knowledge when it comes to this. So what I think he's referring to when he says, oh, this more strict and higher standard process, he's talking about the asylum screening process that takes place. And this is different, by the way, from them going to judges and having this adjudicated, the court date and all that. This is the initial screening that usually takes place no less than 48 hours uh, from when a crossing or encounter has occurred and no more than 10 days. Uh, The less than 48 hours can be waived by the migrants, uh, I believe. But this is not the case for most of the asylum uh, cases. They, They obviously have a certain capacity. These interviews take between one to four hours. And it's just a series of questions that you can just lie about, and they're all coached to do this. So this this really isn't uh, what he what he claims. This, he's he's trying to confuse the public. Well, and it seems like it's so easy to just go on the media, and of course CNN is a friendly venue for this particular uh, hit. And and it's interesting that he's trying to go on CNN uh, rather than you know maybe somebody on a conservative uh, media outlet that would actually push back on this. But it's really easy to just go on, throw out all of this rhetoric and not actually be challenged. And then people listen to that or they hear this clip on social media and they think, oh, that kind of sounds okay. And um, and so it really is a, a twisting and a manipulation of what's going on. And this is why it's so important, as always, to make sure that, you know, we're listening to um, not just conservative bias, but actually trying to get the facts. And so um, you've been at the border, you've seen what's going on. Uh, Where do you go for uh, better facts on uh, what's actually going on? And and what are the sources um, that that people can look at for things like this that are accurate and fact-based instead of this kind of spinning? Yeah, I try to go to as many sources as possible and cross-reference, so making sure I'm not just getting one side of the story. But some of the great reporters who are down there very often uh, and reporting on this stuff, Bill Malugin, you, you mentioned Malugin. one, uh, Ali Bradley down uh, with Newsmax. you got Jorge Ventura who goes down there very often. Uh, and even the Border Patrol Union themselves, I mean, I was disappointed to see that the they actually endorsed uh, this bill, Brandon Judd, the president of the Border Patrol Union, uh, you know, got behind this. But they they often will post uh, a lot of good things about what's happening at the border and facts. So, um, yeah, those are some decent sources. Yeah, well, great. Well, I'm really glad that you uh, were able to pronounce his last name. I think if there's one thing that uh, we have learned in my year here at AFR is that I always botch people's last name. But um, you are Nuance Bro on Twitter, and so I at least got that one right. And you can follow him on X, formerly known as Twitter. And uh, we need to be praying for this country, standing with Texas, and also call your U.S. senators and tell them not to vote for this bill or tell them how you uh, you feel about this issue, because this is going to have major, major implications for uh, the border and for this ongoing crisis. So we're going to be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning.
Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. When Charlotte found out she was pregnant, she was seven weeks along. In the back of her mind, she thought abortion was the best solution. But after hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her beautiful baby on an ultrasound, she chose life. Her heart is filled with gratitude for all of you who made this possible. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And there is an excellent, excellent new documentary that is coming out, I believe, this week that is titled Letter to the American Church. And it is based on the book by Eric Metaxas of the same name. And this is the beginning of that movie. This is cut to. The parallels with where the American church is now to where the German church stood in the face of the impending Nazi regime in the early 1930s are unavoidable and grim. The question is whether we might recognize those parallels and take action to avoid the fatal mistakes the German church made during that time. If we do not, I am convinced we will face destruction in an even greater way than they did. Though it might be a gruesome thing to consider, the monstrous evil that befell the civilized world at that time, precisely because of the German church's failure, is merely a foretaste of what will befall the world if the American church fails in a similar way in this hour. That is the beginning to Letter to the American Church, and my very dear friend Eric Metaxas joins me now. And Eric, um, I watched the screener of this movie. It's 60 minutes long last night. It is so timely. It is so incredibly important, and it's something that I believe every single Christian needs to watch and every single pastor needs to show at their church. So thank you for creating this film. Oh, thank you, Jenna. Listen, this is this is God or it's nothing. I mean, I, you know, it's not like I had some idea. This was God's idea. I don't say that lightly. I don't have time to get into it. But, the, the you know, when I wrote my Bonhoeffer book, the, the, if you really think about what is the heart of the Bonhoeffer book, it is about a man of God seeing in Nazi Germany that it was the church, that God had appointed the church to stand and to fight against the evil that was rising in Germany. And basically, Bonhoeffer tried to get the church to see it and to act. And and most Christian leaders, including many good ones, you know, these weren't fake Christian leaders. These weren't big Nazis. These were Christian leaders, uh, many of them good, who did not understand the urgency. They kept thinking, you know what? Uh, we don't do that. We just want to do church. We just want to have a nice church service. We don't want to be political. Uh, it's complicated. We don't think it's going to get that bad. We're just going to keep our head down, stay out of trouble, focus on God, theoretically. And the reality is, 
if they were focused on God, he was telling them, it is your duty to live out your faith now, not to talk about your faith, not to sing about your faith, to live out your faith, what you claim to believe now. And if you do that, church, you will be sufficient to stand against the evil of the Nazis. So many Christians did not get it. They had bad theology. They really, really believed it was not their job. They would just say, Romans 13, we're just supposed to go along with what the government says. And we see the evil that fell in Germany. It's, it's something that most of us can't even believe, can't even believe the evil. And it was, it was atheistic, satanic. It was really horrible. And the church failed. And, and, and I'm saying now in my book letter to the American church and in this film that is just coming out this week, that's where the American church is now. And if you're going to a church that is not facing this, that is not a voice in the battle right now, uh, get out of that church find a church that is part of doing what God is calling the church to do. Uh, it's, uh, it, it couldn't be a more urgent message. I say this to everybody who claims to be a Christian. I'm just speaking to Christians. That's why it's called Letter to the American Church. And so well said. And uh, it was it was remarkable as I was watching uh, this documentary last night. You make a point of saying there were about 18,000 pastors um, in Germany at the time and only about 3,000 uh, stood against the Nazi regime. And the point that you're, you were making was that there were a vast, vast majority that simply, as you just said, Eric, uh, put their head down and did nothing and said, we don't want to engage. And we saw the consequences of that. And yet it's not even a hundred years later. And we're seeing the American church fall for the same nonsense of we can't yeah. engage politics. It's too dirty. And we're seeing the cultural Marxism that was Nazi Germany starting to take over America. Oh, there's no doubt. It's not starting to take over. It's taking over. I mean, literally this morning, like like uh, uh, 40 minutes ago, I read, you know, there's a family in Montana that they didn't want their kid. They don't want their little kid to transition. Okay, the the insanity. One one of the lunacies we're facing, of course, is this transgender madness. It's 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 an absolute satanic madness destroying children and and a family in montana this is just one example they had their child taken away from them and they're speaking out against this now and then they're they're being threatened with jail time for speaking against it even though their child was already taken away from them you know if you're a christian going to a church that does not care about this kind of thing you're guilty. God is going to judge your church because it is the role and the duty of the church to stand against this. No different than when Germans were, were, were seeing Jews being demonized and then taken away, and, and they said nothing. And you think, God is a judge. He's going to judge you for saying nothing. You, saying nothing is not neutral. You're guilty. And so that's the famous passage, which it's often identified with Bonhoeffer, although he probably didn't say it. But the, but the famous passage, or, or the, the, the statement, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. And I think here we have the example in Germany of what happened, clear as a bell. Germans didn't have an example to look to. We have the example of what happened in Germany. So in my book, Letter to the American Church, I lay it out. Here's what happened. Here's what's happening now. Here's what happened then. Here's what's happening now. And the film, you know, Jenna, the, the film wasn't my idea. I just wrote the book letter to the American church. But the film, I spoke 
at Pastor Rob McQuay's church uh, in California over a year ago, and two women that are Hollywood veterans, they said this needs to be a film. So they made the film. I'm the main voice of the film, but they made the film. And the film, you've seen it. I mean, it's amazing. I can't take any credit for the film, but it's super, super compelling, beautifully made, and it is available free to any church, any church that wants to do a screening. We've already signed up 70 churches that are doing free screenings across America. Uh, if people want to see it on their own, it's like four ninety nine. You go to Epoch TV. But the, actually, people just go to lettertotheamericanchurch.com. Lettertotheamericanchurch.com will give you a list of all the churches that are doing free screenings. They will tell you how to see it for yourself. Uh, you can watch it with your family, with friends. And I, I just I feel like, you know, Paul Revere, I, I, I want to get the message out. This is about saving America, and it is the job of the Church to stand and to speak out. We, are, we have no excuse for our silence, and uh, people need to see the biblical case. It, this is not just, you know, oh, this is a good idea. This is biblical. This is what, what the Word calls us to. We're called to love our neighbors. That means we're supposed to speak out on everything. We're not just supposed to be in our churches doing our theological thing. And so uh, if you go to lettertotheamericanchurch.com, you can see all the, all the stuff there. There's a trailer there. And, and I got to say, the, the launch is this Thursday. So two days from today is the launch. So I hope everybody uh, will be a part of it and just go to lettertotheamericanchurch.com. And if you are listening, and I know um all of our listeners should be in churches. You should be a member of your local church. Um, I believe, as, as Pastor John MacArthur uh, says, that it's impossible to uh, to faithfully serve God if you are not a member of the local church and, and gathering together of the Ecclesia as the Bible commands. So for those of you, and, and we are speaking to the Christians here who are listening, um, if you are a pastor, then you can take the initiative and show this at your church. But if you are simply a member of your church, uh, you should be taking this to your pastor, to the elders, to the church leadership and saying, this is something that needs to be shown. Because Eric Metaxas, I, I feel like the American church has kind of been lulled into kind of this complacency and this, hey, everything is really great, man. And part of this is not only the myth of a separation of church and state that we've bought into that is absolutely anti-constitutional, ridiculous, but also this, and and this is so frustrating, the whole idea of a tax-exempt status, I feel like so many pastors hang their hat on, well, the IRS might come after me if yeah. I say the wrong Sell thing. Sell your soul to and, the devil for, for, a little, uh, for a little tax credit. I mean, can you imagine right? that we are self-silencing, that God says to say something, we say, well, uh, I don't want to say that because I, I might lose my tax-exempt status. First of all, if you're not, not the Bible. <laughs> in danger of losing your tax exempt status, you're not being courageous. I mean, the idea that we're not even, you know, the, you're not hearing of any churches losing their tax. It's just complete nonsense. It's a threat. And I, I talk about that in the book, Letter to the American Church, because that has been used to silence people. We've self-silenced. We're supposed to be loud, proud, prophetic voices for God, come what may. And you probably won't lose your tax-exempt status. But even if you did, who cares? God will make it up to you. I mean, the, by the way, churches that are being brave on all this stuff, their numbers are exploding. People are coming. Uh, atheists are coming and saying, I, I'm interested in that because it sounds like they're saying something that's relevant to me. Churches that are still doing church are struggling to keep their doors open. You see this over and over and over again. And so that, my, my, my thing is I say, 
if we're offering free screening to, to churches, if your church is not interested in free screening, why are you interested in going to that church? We are in a war right now for the soul of this nation. Human beings that you'll never meet are, are depending on Christians to speak up. Uh, they're trying to raise their kids in, in, a, in, a, in a crazy world. Uh, we have strangers uh, flooding across our borders. You know, we, we don't know who's coming over. Fentanyl is pouring in. We're having sex trafficking. The, the, the evil everywhere you look uh, is rampant. It is the job of the church to stand against it. And by the way, here's the good news. If the church does stand against it, if we do what the German church did not, uh, we're, we'll see revival, we'll see reformation, we'll see amazing things in this country. So uh, I, I really am hopeful, but I say to everybody, you've got to do your part. If you're a Christian, you are the church, uh, and your job is to you know, to, to do what you can. So I, I just say to people, just go to the website, letter to the American church.com. Everything is there. There's a trailer, uh, there's information. Uh, obviously you can buy the book. There's a study guide, but the film is an amazing film. It, it, the premiere is two days from today. And I just hope everybody will watch it and we'll get their friends and, and family to watch it because this is a crucial hour. I mean, uh, I really, uh, I cannot overstate it. The window is closing. Uh, it's up to us right now. The German church missed it, and God forbid that we would miss it. We are, we are missing it, but uh, I think every day people are waking up. Yes, and, and it's because of projects like this and the willingness of churches to tell the truth and to speak timely into a lost and dying culture with the truth. And you mentioned, Eric Metaxas, this word relevance. And there are so many Christians that would take that term, at, well-meaning, but would say, well, we don't need to be relevant to a culture because we have always been set apart. Well, I'm not talking about cultural relevance in the sense that we want the world's affirmation or approval. No. I, we're talking, I think, about relevance, meaning we're not just sitting here pontificating in our churches, having tea parties for ourselves. We are relevant to what is going on in the culture, to to the, the examples that you just gave of the gender transitions of minors and the what's going on across the border, and, and people are so concerned about crime. I mean, these are things that, that people are actually concerned about, and rightfully so. And if the church is not speaking on those issues from a biblical perspective, not a partisan perspective, but a biblical perspective, then what are we doing? And people shouldn't be afraid of politics. I mean, that's like another thing that is used to silence the church. If something becomes political, who cares? Our job is to speak the truth. If you say I'm against slavery uh, in 1850, they would say, oh, that's political. Uh, you're, you're just... Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're pro-abolitionist, that's your party, that's got nothing to do with your faith. Of course it has to do with your faith. Everything we believe has ramifications in the real world, and if the Church will live out its faith in every sphere, uh, we will be loving our neighbors. There are tons of Americans who are, who are looking for churches and for Christians to live out their faith, just as there were Jews in Germany thinking, I wonder if these Christians with their values would stand against this, this lunacy. Will they dare to stand? It is so shameful that so many chose to look the other way. They pretended that they could be neutral when they were complicit with evil. And there are many churches, and there are people listening right now who are going to churches that are complicit with evil. They are saying nothing. They are doing nothing. God is calling his church to wake up. He's a gracious God, but he doesn't force us to do the right thing. So I, I just beg people, go to lettertotheamericanchurch.com. You can sign up your church for a free screening. You can see all the stuff there. You can see all the churches 
70 already have signed up for free screenings across the country. I read the whole list on my radio program yesterday. It's very exciting. I am hopeful. This is crucial. Everybody has to do their part. Absolutely. And you made a really key point, Eric Metaxas, that we have to engage in our culture. And if that becomes political, well, so what? I mean, this is where we have to understand that civic engagement is all about truth in community as, as the definition really of politics. It is understanding what the biblical worldview prescribes and requires and demands of a moral and upright society. And we used to understand that as Americans, but now we have allowed this infiltration of cultural Marxism. We've allowed the leftist ideology to take over and weaponize our institutions. And pastors are sitting back, not all of them, thankfully, but a lot of them in America and saying, well, I want my following. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to get controversial. So in just the last two minutes I have with you, what is your specific message to pastors to to take hold of this message and run with it? Well, I would say this is a test, right? This is a test. God is testing us. He doesn't force us to do the right thing, but he, he, he puts something out there that is clear as a bell, and he watches to see, will we do what he has asked us to do, or will we kind of pretend like, well, I, I, I'm confused, and so I'm not going to do anything. This is a time that will never come back. Just like in Germany, if you're, if you're alive in Germany in 34, 30, 33 or 34, 1933 or 34, there was a moment. It didn't exist before that, and it would go away immediately after that. This is a moment when the Church had the ability to do God's will and change history. They dithered. They said, not yet, I'm not sure, and they did nothing. They kind of basically said, well, let's see, let's wait. They were basically letting the 3,000 pastors that were heroes to, to, to take all the heat. And they said, well, I don't want to be one of them. I don't want to get canceled. I don't want, to, I don't want people to look at me funny. I'm just going to hang over here in this neutral territory. You know, so they were on the fence, right? And, and I now say, here's the, here's the memo. The memo is the devil owns the fence. If you are on that mm-hmm. fence, the devil owns. Don't be fooled that it's neutral. The devil loves you to be there. That's the devil's church, a church that basically says, oh, we're just sitting here. We're not doing anything. We're not going to, we're not going to, we're just going to do our little thing, our little theological thing. We're going to preach the gospel, quote unquote. And the point is, you've been fooled because God is now calling you to do more than just preach the gospel. You're supposed to speak against evil. You're supposed to speak out by loving your neighbor, by speaking the truth. And and so this is a, a moment that is going to go away, just as it went away in Germany. Absolutely. Right? And please and, take this seriously. Letter to the American Church.com has everything for you. Thanks so much, Eric Metaxas. My church in Florida is going to be doing the same thing, so we're engaged. <laughs> and I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Thanks so much, Eric. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? 
Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.